Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. As I mentioned at the beginning of worship, we're in the third week of our sermon series called The Guardian, which is a study of the Ten Commandments. We're looking at really, really good gifts that God gives us in the commandments today, how he gives us holidays, how he gives us rest. And not only that, but God guards our holidays and our rest. Because this is the third week in this sermon series, you guys are getting pretty familiar with God's moral code, with his Ten Commandments. So we're going to do something a little bit different, a little bit fun as we start out our sermon this morning. I'm going to read not one, but two sermon lessons. This is going to be based on, our sermon today is going to be based on not only Exodus chapter 20 and the reading of the Third Commandment, but also Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus' disciples are figuratively put on trial for breaking the Sabbath laws, allegedly. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to listen as I read the Sabbath law, as God gave it to his people Israel. And then I'm going to read what happened in Matthew chapter 12. And you are going to be the jury. You are going to decide, are the disciples guilty of breaking a technicality in the third commandment? Or did they keep it? So here we go. Two lessons. This is first God's holy word in Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is God's word. You got it? That's the third commandment. Now here is God's gospel in Matthew chapter 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. I tell you, excuse me, or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord on the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. 
looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. This is the gospel of our Lord. So what is it? It is the Pharisees verse the 12 apostles. Were the disciples guilty of breaking a technicality in the third commandment? Or did they remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy? The prosecution makes their argument first. The Pharisees could summarize their argument this way, that Lord gave a command. It's rather simple and rather clear. Do not work on the Sabbath. Therefore, since disciples did work harvesting grain on the Sabbath, they did what is unlawful. They broke the Sabbath law. Case rested. Little Sabbath joke there. All right. Next up is the defendant's case. And representing the 12 apostles, you have Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Man. Did you hear what he said? He said there's precedent here. He said the precedent comes from the Old Testament when David, to be king, was on the run from the crazed king, King Saul, who is looking to kill him. And David was on the run, fleeing for his life, and he stopped by the temple, and he and his companions were hungry. So what did they do? They asked the priests for the consecrated bread. And what did the priests do who knew full well that that bread was only for them? They gave it to David. The Lord says, look, God cares just as much about feeding your physical bodies as he does your spiritual well-being. So you're the jury. Who's right? Is it the Pharisees or the 12 apostles? Are they innocent? Well, most of you who are nodding your heads or looking in the affirmative are onto this one. Jesus is right. And those of you who didn't answer know well enough not to disagree with Jesus, at least while you're in church. And so that's it. Jesus is right. And he gives the answer to why this situation is what it is just moments later. He said this. He said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In other words, Pharisees, disciples, what I desire most of all is your love and your worship. I do not so much desire you keeping the traditions. What I desire is your heart full of love, full of worship, more than your tummy going empty because you are so busy fasting. And it makes sense, right? By this point, 
what had happened. The Pharisee had substituted man-made religious traditions for their God-given relationship with God. And so what Jesus said throughout his ministry about them is true. The Pharisees, these people, their, their mouths honor God, but their hearts are far from him. Because what had happened over the years, the Pharisees had created so many man-made traditions that it got to the point where you could not keep the Sabbath day if you did any physical labor whatsoever, including picking grain. Be like the equivalent of this. Imagine somebody at home wakes up on a Sunday morning, looks forward to coming here, worship, praising God, hearing his word read, but maybe they hit the snooze button a couple times so they don't have time to make it into the kitchen to make a well-balanced breakfast. And so they leave the house grabbing a granola bar, just a humble granola bar, and they come here. They sit down for worship. And when they open up that granola bar, just a humble granola bar in order to satiate their hunger while their soul is being fed, we all jump on them. We jump on them and we say, no, you can't do that. It looks like you're valuing food way more than God. That'd be silly. That'd be ridiculous, right? And as we look at what the Pharisees did here in Matthew chapter 12, you would not be wrong if you said what they did was reckless. It was, it was absolutely ridiculous. But you want to know something? At least the Pharisees honored the third commandment. At least they recognized it for what it is. A divinely given command by God to regularly, cyclically stop for spiritual things. Could the same be said for you and I? This is the third commandment right here. It reads, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now it's shocking, but this should be a commandment that you and I and really everybody can get behind. God is giving us Rest. That's what Sabbath means. God is giving us a holiday, a holy day. That's where we get our word holiday. God is telling us to take time off from work, to stop, rest, and relax. It should be one that we can get behind. I mean, I get why, why some people struggle with, let's say, the sixth commandment, which talks about God's design for sexuality. There are normal, natural desires that people have. And you add to that the confusing cultural commentary on sex. It makes sense why people struggle with the six. Or maybe you think about the eighth commandment, the one that deals with gossip. Makes sense why people maybe have a hard time with that one. What with our lives very publicized on social media, it makes sense why people can have a problem with gossip. But this one, Why do we struggle with the third commandment? Oh, you don't believe me (laughs) that this is a problem? That, That we struggle here in America with keeping this commandment? Did you know that America ranks dead last 
of every single developed nation in resting, in taking vacation days. We're the only nation of all developed nations that doesn't actually guarantee and mandate vacation days. And that translates into people who have vacation days, people who can afford to take vacation, not taking vacation. Over half of vacation days get unused in America every single year. And it's not just an American problem. It's a Northern Virginia problem. Did you know that the Washington DC metro area of all cities in the United States is the worst at resting? We just barely outedge the San Francisco Bay area in being the absolute worst in taking time to rest. So why? Well, the only logical explanation for this is that people who claim to be crazy busy and just want some time for a little R&R are either lying or they're being gripped by something more powerful than ourselves. Can we rest on that thought just for a moment this morning? Can we rest here just long enough to ask some maybe searching questions about our relationship to work. Is the reason that we stink at resting because we're too busy obsessing about our careers, about our jobs, about producing? Has it gotten to the point where where we look to our career and our job for just more than a paycheck? Ask yourself, is the primary source of not just your financial means, but also of your identity, your worth, your community, your job? Do we look to what we do for what we should look to God alone to give us? Do you feel guilt? when it comes to not producing, to not achieving, to missing opportunities at work? Do you feel guilt, which is, by the way, a spiritual symptom for for missing things at work, and all the while you feel little or no guilt about missing opportunities to rest in the grace of your God? you pay more mind to our capitalistic cultural's commandment that thou shalt produce, thou shalt be killing it, and you miss out on the real commandment, the sublime Savior's commandment, that thou shalt rest. Because, oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. You don't have to have a job. You don't have to even love your career to wrestle with this idea. You don't have to work per se because the reality is that we all drink the intoxicating cultural's voice of productivity and professionalism and success. Maybe maybe you're not a workaholic. 
But are you addicted to busyness? Check out this meme. Corella DeVille, white knuckling it. It says, me trying to excel in career, maintain a social life, drink enough water, exercise, text everyone back, stay sane, survive, and be happy. Ask yourself, can you relate to that? Can you relate to that? Because while you are always telling people how you're always so crazy busy, you really wear it like a badge of honor because you're doing all of that. Are you more comfortable with busyness than idleness? Has busy become not just how we are, but who we are and who we want to be? question is all too often answered in this way. How are you? Oh, I'm busy. And yet very rarely do you hear anyone talk about busyness as though it is a conscious decision that they made. It is more like a means to an end. Maybe that's why some people, even Christians, don't take a holiday, don't take a Sabbath, don't commemorate a holy day regularly, cyclically, at all? Could that be the reason why so many of us are burnt out after our work weeks that we can't even leave our house to go to the house of the Lord? Is why sometimes we just pop in a podcast or prop open the laptop and we worship and follow the Sabbath while we go shopping, while we go for a run, while we wash dishes, maybe all at the same time, because absolutely we have to be busy getting it all done. Is it why some of you are okay with coming here week after week and yet, at the end, knowing no more about the Bible than you did at the beginning. Because when you come here to worship, you're here attending with your feet, but not with your heart. You're too busy thinking about your to-do list and all the things that you have to do after you check off the church box. The question is not why are we so busy working so many hours? But why are we okay with it? Even if we wouldn't say so. Before we answer that important question, I'll say this. We're not going to blame the culture. We're not going to scapegoat on the cult of productivity and production. We're not going to look at the American workplace and think they're at fault as though men and women are somehow like passive, passive victims to this force that moves on them. No, the reality is busyness and workaholism, well, it thrives only because it finds something, a foothold in all of our hearts. Being human means having a deep-seated desire to be enough. Just listen and you will hear that word in every area of your workplace and your life. People want to be successful enough, wealthy enough, smart enough, thin enough, good enough. 
good enough parents, good enough churchgoers, good enough people in all of these areas. And we look at our lives and we think about the only way to ever be enough is to produce and produce and produce and succeed and fill our plates with more. Because we think if eventually, eventually we do enough, then we will get enough validation and get enough love. And then when we have enough that, we will be enough. The hard truth about why we work so hard is often because we see our careers as the barometer. We see our calendars as the yardstick for just how much is enough. And there's some subjective benchmark in our heads that we know when we get there, we'll be enough. But until then, we need to keep going. We need to keep going or the world will stop spinning You know, scripture, it, it talks a lot about condemning the attitude or the mindset or the belief that people obtain righteousness by doing good works. Today, it seems as though we've really just taken that idea and cut out the good. We think that we can obtain righteousness by our work. And, and righteousness is really just the biblical word, the scriptural word for what enoughness is. That we can achieve this kind of righteousness, this enoughness, if we just do enough. And all of you are thinking, oh, I don't believe that actually. And I know you don't. You don't believe that theologically. You don't believe that you actually can do things to be saved. You believe that you are saved by God's love and grace alone theologically, but functionally, practically. Look at your last week. Look at your last month. And we offer up sacrifices again and again. Sacrifices on the altar of enoughness. But there's no such thing. Because enoughness doesn't exist. It never comes. It's like climbing a ladder where the rungs move further and further apart. You never get there. And that's why there's deadly consequences to this. The thing about busyness and workaholism that is aimed at enoughness is it's a double-edged sword in and of itself. It works in two ways because it keeps us going, keeps us feeling like we're racking up more and more in the enoughness column. Meanwhile, it blinds us to the fact that we are being isolated unto ourselves in our own little word, that we're dealing with separation from others, not to mention our God, and all that goes with that anxiety anxiety, worry, concerns. And yet all of our mental bandwidth is spent doing more and more and more. So we never have time to do the things that we need to attend to that are really important that deal with our long-term well-being, not to mention our spiritual eternities. I think one pastor put it very well, put his finger on it when he said, when we live this way, it's because we, we have an inner God complex. That is, we don't think we have any limitations, that there is no end to what we can do relationally, professionally, emotionally. We can go and go and go, and like the Energizer Bunny, we don't need to be recharged. We don't need to have any accountability at all. And yet when we do that, spiritually, it's, well, it's like we are 
living on a diet of energy drinks and caffeine pills. We're living without eating or sleeping, and the entire time we are pressing the button on our own self-destruction. Why? All to be enough in our own categories. But we never get there. And that is why you need to hear this. Jesus is pretty good at his work. Jesus is pretty good at his work of being the Lord of the Sabbath, even when you rest. That's what he wanted you to know. That's what he wanted you to know. And so Jesus said, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. And Jesus actually so wanted you to know that, so wanted you to remember that, that he did something that you and I and the man with the shriveled right hand absolutely fear. He did the one thing that none of us want, that he would reveal the thing that is the greatest source of our never-enoughness. Listen to what he did. After he got done talking with the Pharisees about his disciples going on from that place, he went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Then Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. Can you picture what a shriveled right hand looks like? I thought I could have put one up here, but it'd be too gruesome, too uncomfortable for us. But can you picture not only what that would look like, but what that would mean to live with something like that. And then can you picture what it would have meant for Jesus to ask him to stretch out his hand in front of the entire church in the synagogue to do the one thing, to expose the one thing that was the greatest source of feeling like he was never enough. Can you imagine going to church? Walking into church and the pastor there asks you to stand up and reveal and expose and share with everybody that thing in your life that drives you to work at a breakneck speed, the thing where you always feel like you're lacking just a little bit, where your sense of identity suffers the most, where your whole world of worth really falls short to just stand up and share it. And if you don't know what that is, he does. And so he's going to share it with everybody. Jesus did that. Jesus did that, and it might seem harsh to us that he did this to this man, but he did it so that you know how much he loves you and how great he is at doing his work. You see, here is a guy who was forced to rest, forced to rest in Jesus in that moment as he revealed his disability, the revealed the thing that made him feel like he was never enough. And it wasn't just any old person. I mean, think about this man and who he was. This is the one guy who needed to be at work. This is the one guy who couldn't afford to take a Sabbath rest. And yet here he is there in the synagogue, 
I say he couldn't afford to take a Sabbath rest because scripture doesn't tell us what his job was, but think about the culture and the economy that he lived in. It was an agrarian culture. This man was not with one hand going to go be a successful farmer. This man was not with one hand going to go out on the Sea of Galilee and cast and haul in nets. What was he supposed to do? What was he supposed to do for his income? What was he supposed to do for his source of identity, worth, his community? It's not like the guy with the shriveled right hand who spent all of his time trying to conceal it would just walk in a room and there create this network where he was just able to get any old job that he wanted. What should he do? Well, he saw what he did. He took a day. He took a holy day. And he just went to church. He just went to regular old church and he rested. And while he did, Jesus worked. Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out in front of him and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. I mean, think about what this meant for this man. Very often we read through scriptures and we read about Jesus' miracles and we think, oh, that's nice. Another Sabbath, another healing, another lame man, another miracle. But think about who this man was. He was a real man with real friends who had a real life. And here he is now completely restored precisely in the one area of his life where he never felt like he was enough. Here he was, completely restored, able to go back into the world with a new sense of confidence, able to go back into his life, doing things that he had never done before, relationally, professionally, economically, because why? Because Jesus went to work while he rested. Jesus is really good at his job. And he wants you to know that so that you take a holiday, a holy day, regularly, cyclically, and just rest. And just rest while he goes to work. And here's the beautiful thing about the Son of Man being the Lord of the Sabbath day. You don't merely rest when you are with him. When you do rest, what he does is he stretches out all of the shriveledness in your life, all of the worries, all of the concerns, all of the to-do lists and things that you have left undone, all of the areas in your life where you are most ashamed, most concerned, most worried. You stretch those things out before the Lord and there, precisely in those places in your life, the Lord goes to work. And not by your own power, none of it by ourselves. What happens is that the Lord completely restores you, rejuvenates you, and refreshes you, and sends you out new back into your life. That is what the Sabbath is for. That is the spiritual rest that the Lord gives 
to you and to me. The commandment reads, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. How do you keep a day holy? How do you make something holy? Well, perhaps a better question to ask is what is the only thing that sanctifies us or anything and makes a thing holy? It's the greatest treasure that God has given us. It's his words. It's his word. It's his promises that speak to us all of the promises that God made and that God made good by our great high priest, Hebrews 4 tells us, who ascended into heaven, who is Jesus Christ, the son of God. Look, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who knows full well what we need, that we need to rest that we need spiritual accountability, that we need to recharge, that we're not infinite, that we're not demigods who can just go and go and go and have no limitations. He knows that we need to be enough. And in Christ alone, he makes you enough. Therefore, as Hebrews 4 says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. There, there is a Sabbath rest when we go before God's throne of grace and there access him in the way that he wants to with his word, through his sacraments and there receive everything that he gives to us, mercy, grace, and confidence. And then you can go back to work and you can work from a place of security, not to get security. You can get busy working from a place of acceptance, a place of confidence, not for those things. You can get busy going to work from a place of love, from a place of joy, not to get joy out of life or to get love from something, but because you already have those things and have them in abundance in Christ. Because Christ said, it is finished. And when he said it is finished, what he did was lift from us a burden to be on top of it all, to be winning, to be enough. It's all because he said it is finished from on top of a cross. He gave us the victory that was his and he gave us his grace, which makes us more than enough. Before we say amen, would you, would you stand up and would you take out your worship guides? As you open up your worship guide, or rather close it and look to the front, what you'll notice on the top is that it says, welcome to a place for you to find rest. That simple greeting has been printed on every single one of our worship guides for the past four years, because that's what we do. When we gather here for worship, we rest. We rest by extending to God all of our shriveledness, all of our brokenness, and receiving from him rest. Rest is not something that we achieve. It is something 
that we receive from God when we come to church and we sit in often silence, in stillness, and see our God through his word. I point this out because no matter how many times we talk about worship being rest and the Sabbath being rest, every once in a while, well, I'll hear someone comment about rest and worship being something that should be like physical rest, like, you know, taking a nap, something that should be like mental or emotional rest. I don't know, like going on a vacation. But this is the rest. This is the rest that God gives comes from his words in scripture through his sacraments. And what it does is it lifts from us everything where we feel not enough. And it gives us all of his righteousness, all of his enoughness. I ask you to stand so that together we could do this just one more time. Would you take a deep breath as together we read these words? For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Welcome to rest.